Speaking of fun and things I love, Nocturne uh, has been close to my heart uh, here in Halifax since it's begun. It was something traditionally uh, that my dad and I would go out and enjoy the night and just um, take in all the art that was going on in the city. And for a smaller city, uh, but still the largest in the region, uh, for Halifax, it's a night where the streets are just flooded with people. Um, you know, from a from a planning perspective, uh, it's such a successful night to get the community out there and to really showcase art um, to the city in an accessible way. And so, um, School of Architecture, uh, in my experience, has always put forward, uh, you know, some efforts, some sort of an installation for Nocturne. Um, last year was a little bit odd in the way it was it was kind of a room full of smoke it was about do you... there was i was not a part of it so right I neither was i so maybe we shouldn't but... but um on the front lawn there was a cube that apparently was about distortion of senses it was okay about, okay um uncertainty of space and where you are i don't know if that don't quote me on that that's what i remember hearing about right it. yeah that makes sense though there was this giant or I don't know if giant is term, probably like 10 by 10 cube. Mm. Um, and then it was clad in some sort of thin flexi or I don't a know, plastic, sheet -like Yeah, a plastic and sheet. In that was a fog machine and a black light. And so the viewers went in that and were disoriented and then they would pass through it. Um, the doors on the entrance and the exit had hinges on a different side. So you didn't... You oh, know, really? So you were exiting. going... So it was, a, it was all about a distortion of senses. And then once you go through that, you went into the exhibition room, which we've all been in. And there was more of a, like a sensory audio visual, hmm. um, component where there were sheets of bubble wrap on the ground and hung from the ceiling. So you could kind of like, there was a tactile disorientation. Yeah. yeah. But we utilized as yeah. a, as an architectural school, we utilized the, uh, the property, the building itself and, yeah. and, and, uh, to be able to utilize that. Now this year's topic was nomadic reciprocity. Yes. And so, um, Please tell us all about your experience with this year's from, you know, design and building straight through to uh, exhibition. Yeah. Well, I want to start before that just by asking how many nocturnes have both of you been to? Like, is nocturne something you frequent? Have you been to this a lot? Kind of. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been to the past four. Four. Yeah, yeah. Same. I've been to four. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I've been in Halifax for three years. So I've been to three, but prior to that, uh, we had like no uh, Nuit Blanche. Okay. Sure. So, yeah. Okay. And actually, could you talk about that a little yeah, I mean, it, I mean, from my experience, it's a very similar sort of experience. Now I'm talking about Nuit Blanche, Ottawa, though I have been to the one in Montreal. So the one in Ottawa, I would say, is uh, just a slightly bigger scale than Halifax. Right, there's Toronto, Nuit Blanche is in Toronto That's as right, well, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. So. yeah, similar idea, and, and uh, different arts organizations set up uh, pavilions or exhibitions or some kind of uh, experience. Right, and the shtick is that this is happening at night. Yeah. I mean, Halifax, yeah. we cut it off at midnight, I believe Montreal goes straight till six in the morning. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, same with Ottawa. Six, so, yeah, yeah, so it's something that that's, uh, you know, of the night, which is an yeah. interesting time to it's... be out and around and expose yourself to things. So a lot of these things light up and, and yeah. do that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah, it's often a lot of artists or um, expressionists that don't, have common mediums hmm. so you wouldn't find them in a gallery you would not find them on a blog they have more of like an expressionistic like you have to be there in person to be a part of it right um, okay. so it is very different like a Jeff Koons sort of a giant uh, 
giant sculpture type thing in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, just very different. Um, yeah. And this year the theme was nomadic reciprocity. It was discussing non-reciprocal relationships that were a part of both of our province and our nation's founding. Oh. Um, so there was kind of a tone of like Aboriginal peoples throughout it. Mm -hmm. um, and I do think the theme this year was very inspiring. Mm. Um, it did have a lot of potential outcome to it that were very positive. Um, I don't, I don't want to preface it by saying like this was a, a deeper theme than other years. Sure, but how did you guys so how did you guys take that theme and start the design process? So we took a approach to it that was more about identity and about labeling and about how society often and those around us are comfortable with labeling one another. Okay. But often how those labels contradict how we view ourselves and how we believe to wow. operate as individuals. Um, so we had a task where, we had two tasks actually, so um, we created a structure and from that structure, it was 60 feet long, um, I think 8 or 10 feet wide, it was four triangular structures that just sat. But curated a... It so, was very linear, it was a right. linear procession, we were in the um, the pathway between... Or no, between magic and then that engineering building. That right, that kind of straight. procession. So that's that's an interesting procession. That's something that's yeah. not just used by students. No. It's something that's used by uh, people who live in the South End that are walking in Spring Garden as a cut through. Yeah. Um, so it's just on the west side. If you're approaching the school, the yeah, it would be yeah. to the left. Yeah. Um, it's funny, it's actually very circumstantial that we ended up there. Our initial plan was to create a horseshoe shape on the lawn. Right. Just for um, the fact that we didn't want a line and we didn't want people to have to wait to enter our exhibit. Sure. Um, and we wanted people to enter through the center and then circumambulate, kind of navigate back to the sidewalks out the sides. Interesting, just quickly. Um, so this horseshoe shape. Yeah. You So entering into that, because there's two different options, you thought that would uh, alleviate... Wait just times? kind of in the sense that it will be circular where you do leave from the sidewalk, you return to the sidewalk, and then you continue on. Rather oh, than, rather than just queuing and then just being kind of yeah, a, a we were single, yeah, I got you. Reflecting on last year, and we remember the, the line was really long, mm -hmm. and then when you would enter, people leaving would be in your way, and it was kind of mm -hmm. awkward. There was like a weird kerfuffle at the front door, so we wanted to eliminate that. Right, so you guys built a uh, this procession but down it, it this changed. place about 60 feet long. So yeah, we were going to do this horseshoe, but the week leading up to Nocturne was really rainy. It was mm -hmm. really nasty weather. So we ended up not being able to secure our structures in the grass in front of the school. Um, also because water lines, we looked at some surveys, they were closer to the surface than we anticipated. So we couldn't put um, wow. Anything deep into the ground, we were kind of nervous about that. So we ended up, mostly because it was muddy, just moving to this this path, and it was brick, and it was well lit. So there, sure. were, there were many benefits to being there. Um, well, it's, do, a great, it's a great we space. We don't yeah. fully yeah. know if it was approved by the school to move there, as vehicles are able to use that, and right. it is a emergency exit space. Um, anywho, we assembled it there, six right. feet long, so it's these four triangular structures. Um, the vertical the beams were... Longer than or the just right? just for going triangular in plan but yeah. not in section right so you looked at them ver you looked at them in plan in plan they there were a series of triangles, of triangles. Yeah. yeah but yeah. looking at it in section we're looking at kind of a uh, almost a hallway they were eight feet or they were ten feet tall each yeah um and on top of them was strung a uh, I think we ordered what would have been the netting for like a soccer. 
Okay, bowl. interesting. Okay. Um, and then we strung that between them, and we kind of had it undulating throughout the structure. Um, and then to each, I guess, intersection of the net, we tied a tweed string of varying lengths. Right. So there were these strings already hanging. So as you approach, hundreds of strings. Um, we prepared for. We were told that we would be getting a thousand visitors. Wow. Okay. Um, other stations were told they were supposed to anticipate 2,500 to 3,000, so we were very underprepared. Mm -hmm. But we did not know this until the hour and a half that we were open, we ran out of supplies. But anyway, so these individual strings we had tied up, and then we had these laser cut, uh, I want to say... Eight, plaques almost. Eight okay, by yeah. three, uh, one-eighth inch plywood... Um, and then we had engraved into them two prompts about identity and about how you saw yourself. Right. So just to um, just kind of give people a visualization yeah. of what we're talking about oh, here. Yeah. So just to the left of the school yeah. and that pathway that connects through to the other parts of the Sexton campus, we had this almost a, a kind of a hallway built with open sides, netting above. And from that, we're hanging um, you know, a thousand of these sort of uh, wooden laser etched pieces that on one side had one message, on the other had uh, a different message. What were, do you they remember were what only, they said? Okay. Yeah, they were engraved on one side. Um, the first prompt was, I am. Okay. So individuals could write whatever they felt they were. Um, yeah. And then the second was, um, has changed me. Has changed me. Right. So okay, it was yeah. more about, I guess, who you've become and how you've become who you've become. Um, and so we prepared for a thousand people, but laser cutting took so long. I was there for many late nights. So Milesbury mm. and I were actually working on it together. Um, and so we ended up only having like 700 or so plaques. Still. Which was That's a lot of plaques, yeah. Incredible, but within, yeah. within the first hour and a half, we ran out of them. But we passed out Sharpies in the line and people were able to write down their stories on these things and hang them up. Um one of the exciting parts about our exhibition, in my opinion, was that this year, Nocturne, at least how I viewed it, was less accessible than previous years. I found many things, maybe because of the rain, I don't really know, but I found many parts of Nocturne were indoors. Right, okay. And often when they were indoors, they were in places that were not fully accessible. Right, it's got to be lines. Well, I know yeah. you mean actually physically accessible no, as well. No, yeah, yeah, accessibility right, is not okay, yeah. Day, but it was super exciting for us because that was one thing we did want to maintain for sure. mm -hmm. was universal accessibility. And so we were on a flat paved surface. It was wide enough for wheelchairs through the middle and through the outside. And we did see many people um, in devices going through our exhibition. Oh, excellent. It was, it yeah. was so exciting. Right. Um, but yeah, the, the weather started spitting, but regardless, it was also a little bit windy. It all kind of worked in our favor because the plaques ended up turning into a sort of wooden wind chime. So yes. there was yes. a sound aspect to it. Um, and speaking to the sound, there was a secondary component to the exhibition. Um, Isaac Frisia, I'm probably butchering his last name. Right, great guy though. He's in M6. M6, yeah. So he just came back to commence his thesis and he took the Nocturne project and made it a part of his thesis. I don't fully know the theme. I nice. know there's a bit about potentially the idea of a memorial, the concept of exhibitions and temporality. No, oh, shout out to Isaac. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know. Um, but he had a component. His brother is in, I want to say software engineering. He designed a program where individuals would come up and push a button and record their story to the same prompts. Oh. Um, so these would then become looped over the whole structure. So there was kind of a background ambiance of people talking. Very um, cool. So there was this whole kind of um, looping aspect to it that was audio. It was 
alongside this um, wood chime sound. So it was really beautiful. It was lovely. Well, I've got to say, I saw some of the uh, images and videos going through Instagram. So I assume we can see this as well on DASA or the architecture. Yes, they did post something. Yep. But uh, one thing that's very cool, because the weather wasn't ideal no, uh, was on that so night. Cold. Yeah, it was, it was cold. Yeah. And even though I like to claim a Nova Scotia always rocks hot tober, yeah. Um, it definitely wasn't a hot-tober no. night uh, that that Saturday, but um, the way that all of these uh, plaques, I guess we'll call them, uh, were hanging mm -hmm. from the structure and then spinning and then moving and, and all this sort of uh, mm -hmm. uh, action that was going on with these things uh, because of the environment, was fantastic. It was really poetic and, uh, and really fun to watch some of the videos. Especially the later ones when there wasn't so many people around and you could see all the pieces and them all spinning and uh, it was uh, mesmerizing. Absolutely, yeah. for sure. So, uh, thank you so much for, you know, your efforts in representing our school uh, on this night. Thank you. It was really fun and I'd hope to get involved uh, with that in the future. But this year, I joined Andrew. Yeah, his, that's right. Yeah, okay, I, I still want to. I still want to talk about the kids. No, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. We. Yeah. We I just want to say I. I didn't actually see it, and now I feel really tearful because oh, there's that. like there's like a great power in inscribing identity. I thought it was incredible. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'm curious, like that that sort of so the architecture developed over time in the sense, like as it started, there were only a few plaques, and then it, it sort of got bigger and noisier. And yeah. And I guess at the end of it, it was a memory of everybody who had been there. It was Ooh. hanging, it was yeah. still spinning, but it was left alone. It was funny because the morning afterwards, um, we came back to the school to disassemble it. Yeah. Because it was kind of a hazard. We had put up a, a structure within under six hours of construction. It now had all this extreme weight to it that it didn't initially have. And it was still spinning in the wind. It was still a breezy day. And we stood there, um, Nish and I and a couple others that had taken a, a leadership role, I guess, in the exhibition. And we stood there and we looked at it and we were listening to it and we were reading some of the plaques and we could not take it down. Right. So we contacted like Dell Security and Brian Lilly and whoever else and we kept it up for another day because people were still coming through and people were still writing on it. Like it was it was so moving and people were reading other people's stories. It was I don't know. I didn't anticipate it being that um deep. Right. Especially in regards to what people wrote on it. Well, that's what I was going to ask. So I don't know beautiful. if you've got any photos or any uh, clips yeah. of those things. No, if uh, you wouldn't mind digging through those here. I, I know where. Yeah, that'd be now. great. Yeah, I'd love to because oh, yeah. that was another thing as well. I mean, just to go on this, um, I'd seen a few of these and the, the things because I am and, and has changed me are such powerful prompts yeah. to really incite, uh, and especially in an anonymous sort of a way that you're able to put that out there for the world. Um, you know, it, it allowed for a lot of really sensational answers that yeah. you yeah. could only uh, assume were deep and heartfelt and, and completely but honest also, and things like oh, that. I, mean, yeah. I think what I'm fascinated by, and I haven't seen the project yet, is this, mm -hmm. this idea that I think, like for example, this room, like who's been in this room? And then That's when, the when yeah. I'm in this office, it belongs to me in a certain sense. Sure, you've got but ownership of it, I'm as do I, as does Caitlin. But by having an architecture that has the, the identities of, of carved in the wall. hundreds of people, yeah. it doesn't belong to me anymore. That space belongs to the hundreds of people. Like the catacombs of Paris. It's, uh, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's wonderful. Sorry, I want to see some pictures. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Here, I'll, uh, I'll do the, the, quick little, uh, yeah. the view on my phone here. So for those of you that 
cannot see. Yeah. I'm showing them kind of the process. I took photos along the way. So this here's the structure. Mm -hmm. um, Looking down the, uh, the side of the hallway, yeah, down so the procession of nothing the... Nothing incredible. The yeah. Then the string hanging commenced, and that took a very long time. We right. thought we had hung more strings than necessary, but as people arrived, it was the perfect amount. I've got a secret for string hanging for you. I'll oh, share okay. after the podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> moving forward, the night began. And we did have uh, neon lights lighting up the space, so it, it did have depth to it, brought by the light. Um, so people would go through, they would read other people's stories, they would write their own, they would hang their own. Um, so there was definitely like a procession to it, um, there was order to it, and then there was the audio component, which you can kind of hear now. Um, it did get very congested, people did go through it slowly, partially because these tags did have sharp edges, so you right. had to move a little slowly. Right, okay. But also people were genuinely searching for new strings to hang their tags on, as well as they were um, reading other people's stories. So it was, it was right. incredible. It was immersive. Well, it's fantastic. And if you're comfortable with it, what I'd like to do yeah. is, is take a few of these videos and link them in the description for the podcast. Oh, definitely. It, yeah, we'll just do a uh, yeah. drive account or something sure. like that. And, uh, I'm assuming I, like, I don't have any, I guess... See this, yeah, this is, uh, we're looking at a video, and you'll be able to see this in the link, a boomerang video of, of just the pieces spinning, they just and it was very beautiful um, to see them to see them spinning around and, yeah. and doing their things. And again, the message is uh, very personal. So what did you do with all the plaques? That's a good question. Um, as things were not taken down on the Sunday as I had anticipated, I was at Peter Braithwaite's studio on Monday, so I was not there for the takedown. Yeah. Um, I do not, I don't know. I truly don't know. Um, we were thinking it would be very awesome to exhibit them somehow, but mm. then again, we were also like, we're students in a degree that is more than full time. Mm. This is a future thing. So It'd be almost beautiful to burn them all and mm. video that with the, uh, I am and the I changed from the, uh, yeah, I mean, exhibit the ashes. Yeah. That's a perfect for Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Next knock. There you go. So, yeah. Nocturne. For uh, Dahazi's architecture school, sounds like it was fantastic. Again, what's super exciting yeah. is um, the woman that ran Nocturne. There's apparently like one head of everything that runs the entire show. She came to our exhibit just as we were closing, and she said, "This was my favorite of this season." So that was that was incredible to hear. Nice. I mean, this was the first time I've done it, but seeing us as a group of random students in our spare time right. create something that was a part of one of Halifax's biggest nights when mm -hmm. everyone comes out of their homes and yeah. walks around. It was awesome. Absolutely fantastic. And I, I, think that, I think the sort of takeaway that I've had over years of Doctrine and New Gosh is that with such little means, you can accomplish so much. Yes. Like it, and it's so fantastic. And like we study those sorts of ideas in architecture school all the time, like, you know, indirect and, and uh, you know, low ceiling and all of those sort of catchphrases that we throw into our designs. Sure. But they work. They work so wonderfully well. Like, right. what what power in lighting, what power in sound, you don't need that much of it and it doesn't need to cost a lot. No. And it just has to be a good idea and well executed. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. It, I'm, I'm excited for everybody to see the videos. Thank you. I was excited to see Thank it. Thank you. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so, speaking of... Yeah. On the other side of the bridge, over there in Dartmouth, the side, Ooh. where I reside, okay. uh, uh, we worked on a wonderful uh, installation for Sesquisharp. That's right. Uh, which, if you could tell us a little bit about the organization, you're familiar with the organization. I this am, is my yeah. first experience uh, with Sesquisharp, so tell us a little bit about their background, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, certainly. So, 
so the so the commission I received from my from my partner Jacob Keynes, mm -hmm. who is a co-director of Sesame Sharp Productions, which is I think they're now calling themselves Sesame Sharp Arts Collective or something like that. Sure. Okay. So what are what is Sesame Sharp? So they are a interdisciplinary arts performance group um, that founded uh, while they were doing their masters in Ottawa about uh, eight to nine years ago. Uh, and they started doing these sort of independent shows as, as master students in music. So, they so would, interdisciplinary yeah. meaning everything. Meaning they have done uh, orchestra concerts, but they've also done performance arts, uh, and they've done gallery installations, and they've done ex you know outdoor installations. Right, okay. Um, uh, usually there's some kind of aspect of music or sound involved, uh, and frequently there's an aspect of new composition or new music or live performance with that so right okay and so there and so these uh their presence is not just here in nova scotia it's yeah. ontario toronto as well that's right the so jacob is here we're living here obviously in halifax as i'm doing my degree but um they started in, in uh, ottawa eight years ago nine years ago um and megan who's the the other co-founder co is, is doing her, her phd right now in toronto so the their work now is kind of spread over two provinces. It's, there's performances here in Nova Scotia, but there's also some performances that are being developed in Ontario cool. and Toronto. Nice. Well, I've got to say, just being on site, I, I kind of jumped uh, jumped in, you yeah, know, just yeah. to just to help out with the with some on site labor type things, not so much with the the, the concept and design, but uh, yeah, just talking with uh, with people who've been involved in other programs. It sounds like. There's been some really wonderful and impacting and kind of odd and obscure uh, type of installations or exhibitions that have happened. One in a church that was, uh, you know, very voluminous, where they, you know, kind of set up a, a group of, of, uh, of musicians mm -hmm. uh, in the center, lit that from below with uh, kind of random lamps, and then just had this giant volume of of mass and expanse uh, above yeah. it. It says very, yeah, romantic and uh, scary at the same time. Well, what's been fun, I think, since meeting Jacob and and, do, and working with him as the silent partner, I've sort of been calling it commissions. They've been asking me to do this work. But I, I get to sort of experiment architecturally in that way. Mm -hmm. And so it was fun working with you because um, frequently Jacob is super unorganized. So, so frequently <laughs> he'll like ask me at the last minute and be like, okay, so we need a forest. Yeah. Yeah. And like, okay, I can't just go out and buy trees. Like, right, that doesn't, right. That doesn't happen. So you get really sort of creative with those sorts of things. So with the church concert, you know, the, the issues were, um, you know, issues of new music in a traditional setting. So this idea of contrast. So then we said, okay, great. So what if we had, a giant volume of a church mm. but you can't see the volume it's dark right and so the sound is filled so you get maximum volume maximum acoustical effects with minimum visual with That's minimum yeah oh but so yeah you're there's space that you can't you can't yeah but you can certainly feel but sense, yeah so so with that the way that we designed that concert um is that you're led to your seating. The seating is not an orchestra seating, so you're sat around the ensemble in a sort of circle. So you see other audience members, and we used house lamps. So we used table lamps and floor lamps. Yeah. But it created sort of a, a sort of a warm glow. Yeah, it was a scale, yeah. Yeah, and so it was that idea of contrast that con that sort of a big and small, mm. loud and soft. Yeah. 
what you can see, what you can't see. Right. Um, which was fantastic. And then we and then and then you came on board for this nocturne, which was yeah. Fun. So so this nocturne event, this happened um, in a wonderful location. So uh, Dartmouth is finally going through a res. Uh, what are, maybe it's just a surgeon's. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just a Like I don't know if this. I don't know if this has been done before there. I mean, there's, um, you know, my family uh, is generationally generationally uh, from Dartmouth, even though I didn't grow up here. I definitely had heard, you know, 20 years ago that, oh, now things are turning around for downtown Dartmouth because this business is going in, you know, 10 years ago, kind of the same thing. But in the last five years, um, you know, I've seen a real shift. And I think that's with the introduction of the Kingsworth wharf development sure so there we've got four towers um three of them uh solely condos one of them rentals um and so that sort of ownership uh is all right on a a, a man-made peninsula mm-hmm. right in downtown dartmouth and so the influx of these residents into the downtown zone um has um i wouldn't say you know Oh God, it sounds like I'm, I'm reaching around gentrification here, but it's, it wasn't a shift of uh, housing from old housing to uh, being bought out and shifting and becoming new housing. I mean, I still live uh, a stone's throw away from where we were at, and yeah. I'm paying some of the cheapest rent in the city, right? So, so it's not like uh, there's been a push out of these other communities. There's just been the addition of, of, newer, of uh, new residents there, and it makes sense because... Dartmouth is a bedroom community, especially downtown Dartmouth, where you're a seven-minute ferry away from, um, you know, the the Scotia downtown Scotia. core, yeah, of of the region, yeah. right? Um, it makes sense that this is a bedroom community for what's happening here, and and from that you're getting all types of um, residential uh, businesses. So um, not only have you know breweries opened up, and you know I guess that's kind of the classic thing for your late 2000s is mm. you know everybody's got a brewery or you know or make kombucha or you know some sort of a hipster type thing i think we're a post hipster now obviously but there's these remnants which are these breweries and distilleries and things like that and so there's a few of those going on there but there was also a place that you know arguably it's it's worse now but it was once a uh, a dive bar slash vlt like lounge this place was you know 200 square feet total uh, it was also a pizza place and a laundromat. So on my Sundays, I could go down, uh, have a few drinks, do my laundry, and order a pizza while I watched uh, people play VLTs. Yeah. And there was also a significant uh, 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 prostitute presence around the VLT uh, sure. section. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, you know, really had the the a bit of the grit and the grind feeling of of Dartmouth there. Um, and now for the last four years, it's been an art gallery and a, uh, open for dinner only, um, uh, you know, cafe sort of space, yeah. right? But surviving and, and, uh, thriving, I should say, mm-hmm. uh, because the, I guess that sort of programming is, is working in downtown Dharma. So we were actually, um, uh, 20 meters from that spot. We were in the, uh, next block over at the bottom of Victoria Road and Portland Street, right next to the site of two former... Uh, straight up crack houses that were yeah, yeah. Uh, torn down by the city for uh, prostitution and, and drug activity. Yeah, and here we were. Yeah, so forest, yeah, right? I mean, I mean, Dartmouth is you know a lot more about Dartmouth, but as a, as someone new to Nova Scotia, it's so interesting because, uh, like, 
I wonder what the allure of living in a in a grimy place is. Yeah. But, and Dartmouth hasn't changed, right? Like the homes that are there, like you said, haven't been many of them haven't been upgraded or torn down. They're, sure, yeah. They're, kind of the right, they're just there. Yeah. They've always sort of been there. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting, like the fact that the the it's been cleaned up and then new businesses have come in, but really there, there hasn't been any change. Right. Yeah. It's, in, it's embracing in what's it there. Yeah, 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 no, yeah. exactly. So, so it's, I, it's more updating than it is, uh, gentrifying. Guess, yeah. So. Or changing. Yeah. Changing like that. I'm not sure how much of the, yeah. How many structures have changed? Like, are, you know, new homes going up. I haven't seen any, so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but then you do mention, the wharf, right? So those big condo buildings. Have that's you know, and that's that's really the biggest change. It's interesting we're we're getting uh, down a path of Dartmouth here because it is you know it's it's the second part of the city. I always introduced it to people as the Oakland uh, to uh, Halifax to San Francisco. You know, yeah, yeah. so um, uh, and and sadly, I mean, you know, you do. Uh, this is a city that uh, has crime. You know, as as all cities do, and and sadly, when you this crime's reported. It's often reported as happening in Dartmouth, sure. um, uh, as opposed to happening in Halifax. And there's there's definitely certain pocket areas mm -hmm. of these places happening. And downtown Dartmouth, formerly being a uh, you know definitely a rougher place. You know, I wouldn't just ever describe it as being uh, um, class specific. It's it's um, you know since I've been there the last ten years, um, every every bar there, every pub there. We'll always have a diverse mix of people, um, you know, uh, but uh, it's definitely not the type of place that, you know, even now uh, that, you know, late at night, you're, uh, I would feel comfortable wearing white iPhone headphones and walking around with those in my ears, right? Mm -hmm. It's just, and that's something that living in Dartmouth and having lived there, um, that's the thing that you just say there. It's like, oh, we don't use iPhone headphones here, right? Yeah. And, and people still buy the black Sony headphones, and that's that's kind of a Dartmouth thing, just to be aware of your surroundings and, and stuff yeah, like that. Totally. Whether that's justified or not, I've never had a problem, uh, you know, living in Dartmouth as far as violence or impact. Definitely, have had encounters and uh, uh, you know, being places where you may feel unsafe. But I think that could happen anywhere. Um, back to Nocturne, certainly. Yeah. Uh, so we were in, we located, incited in a place. That was once a much worse reputation than it is now. But now it was a parking lot, so that's better. Right, right. yes, so, exactly. Pay uh, paradise. So know. I think when I when Jacob told me about it and was saying, okay, you're back in town, you're back from London, you quit your job in London, do you want this parking lot? And mm. I said, <laughs> yes. boy, do I. Yeah. So, um, so we have this parking lot. And uh, we had the show, actually. The show, I had already seen the show. It was workshopped a few months ago. Uh, the show that uh, they produced was called um, Let Evening Come, which is based on a poem. Uh, so I had worked on the first show, but the only thing I'd done was sort of the graphics. I did the, uh, the, the invitations, basically. So they were um, based off of these Magritte, poem, these, uh, Magritte paintings, um, which show sort of these sort of contrasting elements of day and night and the show is really about the transition into the evening it uses actors as well as some some classical art song so um so yeah i was familiar with the show uh, i didn't work on it the first time i only worked on the invitations this time i was asked to do really the full installation with about a budget of a few starbucks coffees like really <laughs> like no money yeah. um 
So what, what did I do? So I, 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 I met with the team, the, the artistic directors, Jacob and Megan, uh, as well as uh, some of their new, uh, their new staff, and then all of the artists they brought on board. So that was five musicians and six actors. Uh, so they had, so we met with the team and I, and I, I pitched them two ideas. So the first idea was a, was a landscape piece. They had told me that they wanted to use the parking lot to create sort of this um, sort of magical forest-like landscape. So I don't know how that's possible, but <laughs> what I did was I said, okay, great. Let's not light the scenery. Let's do what we did in the church, but let me put down 500 square feet of sod. So I said, okay, the first idea would be to just sod the parking lot um put in some old cars we had some friends who were going to use old cars we were going to use the, the headlights from the old cars and we were going to blast the uh, the loop music the the soundtrack and the forest sounds from the cars mm -hmm. so that it had sort of this feeling of being in a um being in like a like a like a, a photograph or a painting or some sort of surrealist moment mm -hmm. where you were in a parking lot with cars and there was music playing from the cars super weird so there was that first idea right they didn't like that idea i don't okay. know why i actually that sounds lovely i love yeah. that idea yeah. and i and i i will do it i will go back to solving something at some point right you will see grass in my b5 portfolio right well uh, uh, yeah interesting uh, so no and uh <laughs> yeah being on site it would definitely be now had you ever considered astroturf well, we, but it's so costly, right? Sure, yeah. We had about, what was it, $80? <laughs> okay, $80 budget, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. blew it all on plywood. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, so, but. So, so we didn't go the stock, but I mean, but interesting, so we were talking about with yours, Kate, like with very little, you know, for a pallet of sod, it costs about $90. Super cheap. Um, yeah. but, but could be really effective. It changes the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Changes your Everything. expectation. Yeah. Um, so there was that. And then the second proposal that I offered to them was what I brought Travis on board to help me with, which was these two plywood pylons mm -hmm. um, with these six-foot dowels, uh, these cluster of 66-foot dowels stuck into them right. with lights um, uh, from underneath. So basically they cast these Casting, long, yeah, these yeah. long shadows. And really, I mean, we're talking about creating a forest. Yeah. That's a, what a wonderful way to think of a forest is that at sunset or sunrise when, you know, sun, the sun's low and, uh, and yeah, just drawing these kind of linear patterns across the pavement. Is, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah. And it worked, and it worked out super well and I was really happy to have you help me that day. It was, it was a really piss poor day. It was <laughs> but great, uh, great company and yeah, 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 yeah those types of things. So, yeah. uh, and interesting with, um, the players involved as well. So um, wasn't just an static installation. No, no, no. So so with the performance, they interacted with the pylons, which was unforeseen. They mm -hmm. they pulled out branches of it. They lit these little fires. Uh, they said these little incantations. Um, so these were all the actors. And then meanwhile, there was singing involved. So there was like right. I was saying, some art song. Uh, songs about the night, German songs. Were the areas, or I didn't under, I didn't uh, actually understand the um, how you classify. I was trying to tell people stories yeah. about this type of thing, but I didn't understand uh, what type of music was actually being sung there. Yeah, it was just. Uh, I guess you would say it was, it was sort of art songs, so it was classical music. Right. Okay. Um, and 
it wasn't organized by language or necessarily by era. Like it, they were all sort of from different times, right? Okay, different languages, but the they, it was organized thematically, right? It was about the night, right? So the songs would proceed from a German song about twilight to mm. a German song about or a French song about <laughs> two German song about yeah. two German song two about German song, two German song about two German. German. We had no theme no here, theme, but, but yeah, German no. music about uh, twilight. Yeah, it seemed like I I heard Italian in there as well. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's, that's kind of keeping with their mandate, which I think is just really uh, basically a smorgasbord of arts, uh, arts till you throw up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, fantastic. And, and so um, feedback yeah. from this seemed to be very powerful and, and uh, you know, a lot of emotional response to this installation. And um, as far as um, the Dartmouth representation for Nocturne, mm. Uh, it seemed like this really stole the show. Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see awesome. any number of people there. Yeah. Because I think my fear was when I first went to site, like, who's going to come down? No, and, and to be honest, as a Dartmouth, uh, you know, yeah. say native, I was I was a little worried about that as well. Yeah, like, when you, you showed know, up, I was we're, like... We're all the way down Portland Street here, you know, we're, because Portland Street, um, for those of you who don't know... It rises up from the harbor and then crests a couple blocks up and then and turn, turns down. So this was on the downhill side of Portland Street, which um, the uphill side is is much more lively, especially for nightlife, um, because the bars are kind of clustered there. There's definitely bars. I mean, we're talking about a space of four blocks here. It's not yeah. like it's it's there and, and the other, but um, but kind of the action happens down there and, and towards the ferry terminal. I know there's a larger installation down there that was more of a destination spot for people. And, uh, and obviously when that was going, kind of going through its, uh, mode down there, because that was a single show sort of a, a program, um, most of those people made their way up towards, uh, towards our installation. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. So what's interesting is, um, I heard when I spoke to the woman that kind of organized Nocturne was, she was telling us last year, apparently, um, because there were so many notable exhibitions along Spring Garden and Barrington, many people just frequented like the downtown core. Complex. Right, and that's mm -hmm. been my mode with my dad for the last bit. It's just it, over here. It's usually the most efficient streets to walk. You get back-to-back yeah. -back exhibitions. Anyway, so she was saying because of that, this year they did karaoke. Oh, right, so on yes. The ferry, there yes, there's karaoke, karaoke going, yeah. And she was saying this was an initiative to make people cross the harbor to go to Dartmouth. Right, so she wanted right. to instill yeah. this magic right. in Dartmouth as well, over. and it sounds like it worked, which is awesome. Yeah, that's fantastic. I yeah. also I also always wonder, like, like being on Freelab for the first time this year, like, having visited now Rogers stuff, <laughs> like, it's just out in Parsborough. It's hours away, and it just sits there... For years by itself. Like you know what? Just and just objects. because we've got just a few more minutes here, Do it would we? be great to hear a little bit of a recap of your free lab experience. Oh, sure. Uh, because we've talked about this on other podcasts before. Then we should probably wrap, wrap it up. Okay. Uh, but also with yours as well. But um, but yeah, it'd be great to. <laughs> it'd be great to hear uh, a little bit about your free lab experience as far as. Um, yeah, just the process, and I guess it's kind of the most rewarding moments, the highlights for you. <clears throat> yeah, so I think I think definitely the highlights for me. So I was I was with Roger, and we worked on the bridge at Ward's Falls, uh, Ward Falls. Um, so I think I think highlights was uh, maybe a few key moments. So visiting 
Uh, or actually, just, sorry, I, I don't mean to. No, I, no, no. You know, and I kind of got ahead of myself. Can you please explain the project? Oh yes. And so the people can understand, <laughs> and uh, yes, and then just go through some of your highlights. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm gonna yeah, open it up. Yeah, correct. Um, ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, so Ward Falls. So that's. Uh, where is that? West of Harsborough. So it's very, very far. Bay of Fundy Shore, though, That's right? Fundy, Bay of Fundy, high, high <laughs> changes in the world. Yeah. Which is interesting. And Roger has worked here before on Prelab. Right. Uh, okay. I think most notably uh, with some projects with PB. Um, like, ton of local support. Tons of local support. Right? That's, that's what it? I saw afterwards, and, and not to jump ahead in your story, right. but what I saw were just accolades and, and, and the community just reaching out with uh, with um, you know nothing but just like really wonderful uh, nothing but great things to say about uh, the work that you did there and the impact on the community and how much they value that free lap occurs there. Well, it, it's interesting. I mean, like the community is so small, right? There's maybe two dozen people that live there. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Within about that's pretty small. That's yeah. That's a, that's a studio. Within about two days, like. I was like the resident vegetarian for that two weeks. Right. Okay. Like, and uh, when they made us lunches and stuff, there was like one vegetarian sandwich. Or oh, like, fantastic. When we went to the gas station, they'd yeah. make a breakfast sandwich, but with no bacon or anything. Wow. So, so like, yeah, like it was like, I can't describe what the community was like there. Like mm. it was so intimate. Nice. Uh, even going to the restaurant, they already, they were anticipating us. Right. Um, it was, it was really special. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think for sort of, observing Roger from a distance, it was interesting because like they knew him and we went to the farmer's market and, and they were sort of familiar with Roger. Mm -hmm. um, and it felt like we were in his neighborhood a little bit and we were sort of special guests there. Right. And that was really lovely. It was really special. So they had asked us or, or maybe Roger proposed this bridge on this old hiking trail. Um, and the bridge had uh, been blown out, I guess, in the winter, uh, maybe ice and snow and whatever pulled it down. Um, and it was the last bridge. It was the 16th bridge of this wow. uh, four kilometers. So are these all free lab no, bridges? Okay. No, they're just they're just sort of your um, sort of sort of typical walking trail bridges. So they're two logs normally with some planks across. That's them, right. That yeah, sort of yeah, thing. yeah, really, really simple, simple builds. Right. Because I mean, the problem with the area is that. Uh, it's super windy, and right. there is a stream that runs through it. Sure, so you're going to encounter a lot of little gorges or mini ravines or whatever. Yeah. Whatever you want to call them. Wow. Well, uh, see, a gorge, I would say it's more of like that straight side and type. Yeah, no, yeah a ravine no. is traversable. No, a like, gorge is, you know, you got to cross. <laughs> it's like mostly a babbling brook. Basically. Right, okay, okay. <laughs> um, uh, the romanticism of yeah, it, yeah. you know, yeah, I'll dream. So, so, yeah, so building the 16th bridge, which was up at the waterfall. Okay. Uh, lovely walk. I mean, walk four kilometers. Right. It's a bit of a bit of a hop. Yeah. Um, but flat. Right. Really quite flat. Um, and so we proposed a number of bridges, which, again, kudos to Roger observing from a distance. Some of these bridges were fantastic. These like, uh, like these great grand arches with like the or these Japanese bridges where you had to like like just these incredible proposals that we came up with right delicate design oh yeah. like would need engine teams of engineers right okay yeah yeah and way more time in two weeks but right. what, what we came up with which which i actually think is is the most sensible solution is a system that can be applied to any log 
that fell over the water. So the idea is that uh, the log would rot, the log would break away, but mm -hmm. the metal components could be applied to a new log, and it doesn't matter what size the log is. Right. It doesn't matter what. So these metal components, I had actually heard about this when you guys were out there because of very interested. I like to keep my uh, fingers on the pulse yeah, uh, of what's going on. Uh, so talk a little bit about these uh, metal components because they, uh, for those who haven't had the chance to see them, they're fantastic. They were fun. Yeah, I, I, um, I learned a lot about basically just, again, uh, showing up and asking for things. Mm -hmm. We went to an auto body shop and the person at the auto body shop was a, was a good welder, good enough welder. Um, in fact, he was quite good um, and was able to fabricate these metal components for us. We only needed five of them. Mm. Um, and they basically, they could uh, expand uh, so they could accommodate large logs or they could shrink down to smaller logs. And um, So repeatable, modu like modular design, right? Really, basically, you know? any yeah. length you Mod want Modular it. bridge design. Yeah. Incredible. And yeah. So what, what, the, what the metal components basically accomplished was they supported a decking. So you could put a decking on the log. They supported a handrail, they mm -hmm. were inclusive of a handrail, but also they um, cambered the log, they pre-cambered the log by post-tensioning with a cable that ran underneath, with just, it's just a single truss. Right. Um, and then once the post-tensioning is complete and people walk on it, the, the, the pre-cambering comes down and, and the log is corrected and actually there's no bounce in the log, which is oh. really nice. So as you're crossing, you're solid footed. It's it's, it's very assured that you're going to get across this span, you yeah. know, despite it being maybe eight feet high or ten feet high yeah. or fifteen or fifty, hundred, three hundred feet high. You know, yeah, it's I mean, like the system would work essentially in whatever sort of uh, span that you've you've got across. Yeah, yeah, and so it was super exciting to work on, and um, again, kudos to Roger for even, I mean. Like, I was nervous. Like, I, nights before we were even starting the installation, I was, like, awake in my tent, sort of right, shaking that this thing wouldn't come Well, I, I did notice in the photos that you didn't take off your winter jacket the entire time you were there. I did not, yeah. no. <laughs> uh, no, I was, I was pretty stressed out. I think a few of us were, uh, were nervous, but yeah. it, it's, it's sort of a testament to how invested we were in the project. Of course, yeah. We were excited about it. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Fantastic. So, have you uh, made any plans to revisit the area? Um, you know, not just to see your own project, but after spending some time there, was there anything that you didn't really get to explore that you wanted to, given the fact that you were, you know, engulfed in this project? Is, was there anything kitschy about the the place that you'd like to? Uh, yeah, I think so. Visit? I mean, I, I I shot a few rolls of film, and so I finally uh, had a chance to look through them, scan do some film scans and look at them. And uh, I'd like to go back to Cape Door. I mean, the, this, this idea that there's this lighthouse in the middle of nowhere mm. um, that can deafen you because it's so loud. Like, it, the photographs I got were pretty fantastic. And, and I'd like to go back and maybe just spend some time uh, in the Bay of Fundy. I, I'd never really been there before. Right. Well, may I suggest that you take your B3 representation uh, project yeah. of the uh, series of of film uh, on the hangers in the box yeah. and maybe recreate that to like a span of the bridge sort of stuff oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and your photographs of your experience through there might be a, uh, like a kitschy but a yeah. uh, very uh, yeah. a great way to great way to look over that so yeah. Um, yeah so that's that's fantastic now a place that is on all of our minds 
What does that mean? It's online. <laughs> Peter Bravelight Studio. So you yeah. guys started out building a boathouse. Yeah, so we initially were down on the back bay on what we believed was deeded property to everyone that had a home on Niceview Drive. So what does that mean? So deeded property, shared access, essentially. There's a little goat path down from So the kind of a public, yeah, private, because it's owned by the, it's almost like a co-op a sort of, space. yeah, a collective space, yeah. Yeah, so it was believed to be a collective space. Apparently, um, there are deep-rooted German families that live in the area. Right, well, Southern Shore, right? Owned the land for a long time. Um, so anyways, turns out in 2008, the family that lived right beside the place where we were building had purchased the deeded property. Just right away, sort of area. Yeah, and they changed their, um, I guess, legal documentation. Didn't tell anyone, so no one knew. But um, they had owned all of the land other than the goat path, so people of the community could still get down to the water, they could still use the docks, but beyond that, it was this German family's property. So midway... Yeah, I, I apologize a little bit. I no. guess I am jumping a little bit ahead okay. in, your, in your process because the, I guess, a little bit of the sizzle, the controversy with the PB studio was that you guys had to shift gears and, and had to change. Yeah. Before we go into that, though, I would like to hear what efforts you guys made on this initial photos yeah. because as we were all sitting in there and, you know, and students are listening here as well, um, we are all there to vote controversially. Um, on which uh, um, free lab that we wanted to partake in, yeah. and that was definitely one of the popular ones. Yeah. Right. So, um, so the idea, initial idea, was to go and go to Back Bay to build a boathouse, um, something that was explained as almost like ferrying materials over water to get there and that sort of thing. It was very close to the studio, but um, you know, a lot of this sort of interrelation between land and sea, which is yeah. which is very interesting for myself anyways given this yeah critical regionalism of, of Nova Scotia and uh, and the vernacular uh, you know uh, architecture that we are um, driven to to learn about yeah critical regionalism I think is the, is the is the term these days so anyway, so you guys were approaching something like that that was very much akin to the B2 uh, yeah. sort of idea studio. Uh, but then had to shift gears yeah. and ended up with, again, spoiler alert, an amazing, amazing mm -hmm. structure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we were about five days in. Um, we had done one day of case studies of the local architecture. So we drove around almost everywhere in Back Bay. We went to Baby's Cove. We got out to, you know, I want to say Tintalan, but I'm not certain. Somewhere nearby. So we'd done a lot of driving. We had seen many a boathouse. We'd been in a couple. We'd been on some sketchy docks. Like we'd been out and about. We'd seen how cool. things have been constructed. Yeah. Constructed. Um, we then had mm. two days with the neighbors, and we did design charrettes with the neighbors to see what they wanted in their communal boathouse. Um, we then had a full day of. Um, we were split into groups where we kind of do a group design and fight against the other group and see what strong suits came from each group and then right, okay. amalgamate them. And so just on that really quick, because that's yeah. something that we always deal with in architecture school is group work, mm -hmm. right? And really trying to find our strengths and really trying to um, make the most of it because I would have to say, just commenting on that, initially 
being paired together with people going through, you know, B1, things like that. It was like, oh, wow, you know, I have to work this other person. I have to make this work. Then you're working with the whole group and you figure out how to make it work with half a dozen people all the while just wishing for a chance to work on your own. Mm -hmm. And then the moment that I had my own design, I thought, well, how am I going to do this? I don't have anybody to help me. Right. So, so working collectively like this, explain a little bit further, just uh, how that, how that helped with air, how that worked in the freelance process. I mean, it was an incredible process, particularly because this was one of the first times we got to work with M students. Yeah. Um, I mean, traditionally it's most of us working with our classmates and we right. have different backgrounds and different levels of understanding. Um, but it was nice working with people that have been in the program for a full year more than us. Mm -hmm. um, so it was very helpful having them there. Um, and then, I mean, the whole PV team came out and we each have individual conversations. It was very helpful. Finn. But yeah, Finn was there. Finn chased some rocks. Things happen. Five days in, we get shut down by a upset woman who owned the property. Oh, wow. So you dealt with a local yeah, like, um, contrary, the com yeah. combative sort of confrontation type of things. Yeah. So yeah. Um, so we're not going to talk about that. We don't have to. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, we'll move on to the so next we, design. Yeah. We poured two footings. So we had invested capital and time and resources and energy and everything. So um, we moved up. We relocated onto Peter Brayford's property. He did have a site in mind where it was kind of perched off of a rock overlooking we made a joke about it. He has this tiny bog. It's essentially like a breeding ground for mosquitoes. Sure. We called it the bog house. So from boathouse to bog house, we moved upwards. From boathouse to bog house. Yeah, we're still fine. So we essentially barely had to change, change the structure. We just changed the footing depth. Oh, so you guys always had an A-frame type of design for yeah. the boathouse as well. Okay, so cool. We had resolved it to be able to store three kayaks beneath it. Um, two canoes within it and have a little bunkie above it and then in the winter everything could go in it and all of your like habitable space could become storage. Oh fantastic okay so summertime it's uh, all the useful equipment is stored on the outside of the structure. Yes. Yeah you've got a place in. to live on the inside. Yeah. Wintertime it's all stored on the inside yeah. you're not necessarily living there it's just everything's closed down and shut down. Yeah. Cool so good way to have that traverse the seasons. It was very versatile, and it we did have a dimension to actually be of use for the people in the community and what they owned. Anyways, moved it upstairs, upstairs, no, up the hill, essentially, mm -hmm. to Peter's property. We did build it. Um, essentially, all we were able to erect in this time was the structure because right. we'd lost five days. So, do you still um, pour footings? So, we again? did pour yeah. footings ourselves. Um, yep, yeah, we did essentially restart cool. completely. Um, yeah, so it's still on this property. Kyle Cheeseman, actually. Yes. Many people don't know this. He's Shout out to the Cheeseman. Cheesy. Yeah. You'll never hear this because yeah. he doesn't use... Anything. Oh, we'll get him on here. We'll get him on here. Devices. Yeah, we'll get him on here. I'll record this to cassette for him. He, <laughs> truly, he too is with me at Peter Braithwaite. Um, it's been awesome having him there. He's, I mean, he's still there. But uh, yeah, we sit across from each other. We make the snarky faces back and forth. It's of course, great. of course. But since working at Peter Braithwaite, he has worked as a carpenter for the first part of his time. But then since then, he has been working on the A-frame. Mm -hmm. um, and the A-frame is of a similar form to this project that Peter has been working on for a while and had like in his back pocket called the Attics. He's always wanted to create these attic-like structures on his property and rent them out for guests. Right. Kind yeah. of creating, uh, I guess, a bed and breakfast situation. That are cozy. Yeah. A-frames so, are cozy. So, yeah, um, Kyle has been essentially creating a hybrid structure of the A-frame and the attics to create an addition onto the A-frame. Mm -hmm. um, he's been working on that. He did actually, 
His first pit, or printout for Redline today. Fully done. Ready for uh, for PB to nice. go through. Nice. That's great. Yeah, so process is moving along there no, at, awesome. uh, at uh, PB Studios. And um, yeah, no, that sounds fantastic. So yeah. free lab experience overall. Um, and again, we're running a couple podcasts here, but it's the first time I'm beginning to check in with you guys. And I'm sure everyone listening has had their own po- or their own free lab experience that mm-hmm. I've been able to share here. Uh, it sounds like yours was uh, really valuable in the community, in the area, as part of being part of this larger thing. It sounds like yours is something that was really specific and kind of more honed in, but uh, is creating this sort of uh, same way a legacy, yet it be personal, but you're still there and getting to check it all out. And so, so that's really incredible. I've got to say, it's uh, it's really cool to uh, share these experiences of this architecture school program. And uh, it's fun, uh, just give my own personal opinion, to be a part of it and to, uh, to share these experiences with you guys and everyone else. So... For our final segment. Yes, finally. Okay, so we need to we need to preface. We need this. to preface this for anybody who doesn't know, and for those who do. Here's a little refresher. There's one reference that has been pretty much my sole uh, uh, key place for information uh, for architecture. It's 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 really it's also got it all. Right. It's. <laughs> Ivan Lendl's 14-day tennis clinic, getting hot. We need to go back in time to be one. So here's the thing. So this is a so this is a book uh, by well Ivan Lendl's. Let's just let's just really get deep here for the people. <laughs> Ivan Lendl is he's like he's the billboard, right? I mean it's Ivan Lendl's 14-day tennis clinic, but but the brain trust behind the information. Is is Jorge Mendoza and as well Walter Luce Jr. We know so much. About these guys, these guys, <laughs> your names now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Jorge, Jorge Mendoza, aka Jorge De La Ronge. If you don't know, if you don't know, you know. Uh, it's it's all here. And so so, there's been so many key elements that have come from this book. I can't even go to listen now. It's got to be its own podcast, but. Uh, Hitting Hot has has been there for a number of projects, for a number of people. And so what we do with this is we we flip through Hitting Hot and we go through a process called picking the passage. Now before we pick a passage, which we will, so don't worry, I want to announce a contest here. Because we're no strangers to contests here on the podcast, are we? So just a quick question for you. The now private land that those footings were poured, mm-hmm. is that accessible for architecture students or is that really cut off? It is at the end of private property. Yeah. Um, I don't think individuals that aren't frequenting Nice View Drive should be going, should there. Be going there. Okay. Also, it's, Fair enough. it's off the beaten path. Fair enough. Okay, so. <laughs> what does that mean? What was the proposal? <laughs> well. Dig up the a bit of a bit of a Bring treasure, bit of a right treasure now. hunt, <laughs> bit of a treasure hunt, perhaps, which we will uh, fully get to the end of this uh, contest in the next podcast. But for this one, we will solely pick a passage. Let it be known, though, a hitting hot contest is on its way. So keep listening. So for this hitting hot, we will do two passages since it's been so long. 
So I'll flip through the book and ask Andrew first to put his finger on a page and pick a passage. Right here. Okay, so passage number one from day 13, baseline rallies. For a time, I relied almost exclusively on my serve and forehand. And for a time, that strategy worked. But as opponents grew used to that strategy, <laughs> those strengths turned into a kind of weakness as opponents exploited the other parts of my game. <laughs> I felt like you just stole my horoscope or something. Yeah, yeah. Like I, like I so, should be looking at my so forearm. So, <laughs> so think about that. Well, think about your forearm game, right? Your forearm game, it's like, oh, yeah. that's your strong game. So it's like, uh, okay, so I'm really good at line weights. So I'm going to just like do a shit drawing and put a bunch of great line weights to it, you know? What does that really mean? I think I keep people pretty confused. I keep myself confused. All right, and, and to finish the podcast, Caitlin, who's been here from the beginning of Hitting Con, I've got to say, one of my B1 studio buds, please pick a passage. Okay. The same page. No, this is day five. <laughs> controversial. Day five is full of controversy. Day five is volley. <laughs> I've always liked volley, but my early training emphasized ground strokes. The club in Czechoslovakia, like most clubs in Europe, only had soft clay courts. Okay, funny thing that reminded me of. Booyah, I was in Czechoslovakia. <laughs> <laughs> play on clay courts. Yeah, play on clay courts. B2. Mm. No, it was B3. Yeah. Oh, shit. Penultimate pinup. Yes. That was talking about ground strokes. A quote from beloved Emmanuel Janish. Yes. Yeah. If you don't draw a ground line, you should become physically ill. Yes. <laughs> and on that note, we wish you farewell. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode 15 of Ghosts of Magic. Uh, we will be back very shortly with uh, episode 16, including new updates for the BF4 assignment from Benji Nickham. Uh, on behalf of myself and Andrea Zitlau, thank you very much. Andrew, thanks. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you very much, you guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.